Right, hello, welcome to this festive edition of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, Hosting as always, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening. And Calm. Evening, Dan. Are you both well, gents? Did the move go well, Paul? Move went well, Dan. I'm in, I'm in the new place, and uh, yep, yeah, the, the broadband is all set up, so I'm coming to, through hopefully crystal clear to uh, to listeners. Um, yeah, all, all's good, Dan. Yeah, well, there's a lot more uh, crystal clear about your move than the the VAR decisions that went on in the Premier League this weekend. But we'll we'll come to that in quite a bit of detail shortly. I could probably do with something to to calm me down before that. Um, we we often have a laugh and a joke about this being the uh, the COVID podcast deep down, but really we can't escape from the fact that COVID is is really taking its toll on football at the moment. Um, with the new variants and and the, the previous variant having a new peak, it's just a nightmare. Games have been called off left, right and centre. Liverpool had eight cases yesterday, the game had to go ahead. Chelsea had seven, the game had to go ahead. Um, both teams dropped points. Man City, who had no cases, um, well, got three points. Not saying that it's correlated, it doesn't help. It's been a really tricky one because it's a World Cup season next season, so there's kind of full steam ahead. The Premier League have decided they won't be pausing the, the fixtures over Christmas, um, but kind of accept there's going to be problems in January. Uh, we're looking at cup competitions having the format changed in order to facilitate it happening in time. What a mess! It, I, I'm not blaming anybody, but what a what a, a complete mess that this season suddenly degenerated into over the last few weeks. Yeah, it's really strange, Dan. I mean, I, you, I looked at the Premier League table this morning, and it's it's one of those really weird tables where it's hard to actually look at the table and assess where everybody is because because there's so many teams on different numbers of games, you know, right from, I think, Burnley and Spurs, who they had that game called off a couple of weeks ago, didn't they, before calling off games for COVID was cool. Um, <laughs> they they had that one called off a, a few Sundays ago. So they both played 15. And then there's any number of teams on 16, 17 and 18, respectively. And it just, yeah, it, it is difficult and it's going to cause problems. We've, we've talked before. Uh, the other thing we are as well as the COVID podcast is we are the football podcast that always says there's too much football. Um, but there is, uh, there is kind of, I think I heard somebody say yesterday, there's only two free midweeks in the entire calendar. I think that's the reason the FA have made the decision today to scrap third round and fourth round replays in the FA Cup this season to try and free up a couple of additional midweeks that can then be used potentially to play some of these fixtures that have been cancelled. I think the problem with that is the FA Cup third round replay week and the FA Cup fourth round replay week, they're in January, right? Which is presumably when we're going to see, um, you know, I, I don't profess to be a, a virologist in any way, shape or form, but that's presumably when we're going to see some of the worst numbers in this peak. If it's anything like the Delta peak last year, the numbers were worse in January. Now, I, you know, I think while we all accept that the there may well be evidence about the level of the symptoms you get and all of that stuff, I don't think the Premier League's in a position yet to say, well, people can play even if they feel a bit under the weather with COVID because we just don't know enough information about, about the long-term effects of that, but also about the seriousness of the condition and, and the risk of passing it on further. So it, it's a really difficult position uh, for football to be in. Um, I think 
the Premier League isn't helping themselves by sort of saying we're looking at each postponement request on a case-by-case basis. Uh, the situation, whoever was at fault on Saturday for the Villa-Burnley game being called off like two hours before kickoff, that's that's not on in this day and age. You, you can't have football fans, especially when we're talking about people not um, you know, increasing their social contact if they don't have to. Football fans travelling across the country from Burnley to, to Birmingham, um, down the country at least, uh, only to find that a game's called off like at the last minute when they've presumably already been on packed trains, they've already been in pubs. That's not helpful. It's you know It, it doesn't sort of further anybody's cause for, for that to happen. And, and it's just a difficult situation for the league to manage. I think had this happened a week sooner, I think they would have taken a break of a set of fixtures and taken the decision to call them off. We're talking about Boxing Day, right? Boxing Day is one of the most kind of symbolic sets of of football fixtures in in the calendar, if not the most symbolic. Uh, I think there was a real reluctance from the Premier League and from the clubs who normally get full houses on Boxing Day or, or pretty full houses, a reluctance from the clubs to move away from that. And it leaves us in a situation where there's a lot of uncertainty heading into January. It's already had an effect on the table, uh, not least teams playing different games. But as you've said, Dan, you know, there are teams who've dropped points in, in comparison to rivals because they've had players go down with COVID and rivals haven't. I think my own club, Arsenal, have benefited from the fact that we've got two games on this week and got six points out of them when... All of the teams around us have lost a game somewhere to, to COVID that's been postponed. So, um, yeah, it's it's a really difficult situation to manage. Um, I don't think that it's going to be a quick fix. I think we might have to deal with a couple of months here through the rest of December and January and maybe even into February where we're kind of juggling the calendar on the fly. And it's going to take the same sort of level of flexibility and adaptability that people showed when we first started playing football again after the original lockdown, when we kind of did away with something normal about, about the way that we organise fixtures. Um, I think we're going to have to show some of that flexibility in the next two months, really, to, to get through this. And hopefully, as we kind of come out of the, the depths of winter, as we come out of December, January, and, and that first part of Feb, we'll see things sort of calm down uh, and life maybe, you know, life get back to, to, to normal, but but also football get back to normal. Um, and hopefully we can do that without having to restrict fans and stands again, because to me, the, the difference as a fan in watching games on TV even this year in front of full stadia compared to watching some of those ball fests last year in empty grounds is just night and day. And and I really don't want to have to go back to watching those kind of sideways football matches that people play in empty stadiums. So it's a training session because um, I don't think that's good for the game long term either. Yeah, I was going to say, Paul, it, it feels like the, the fans in stadiums is the sort of elephant in the room. It's not really been discussed too much, probably for the reasons you've said that no one wants it to stop. <laughs> Even, you know, armchair viewers, because it is a much better experience. And I think we've like objectively seen that over the last couple of years, um, you know, since COVID's come in. So no, no one wants to, to restrict that. But, you know, if we're talking about is it right for games to go on when club clubs are you know, heavily uh, taken down by, by COVID cases. 
um, you know, surely, and, you know, you mentioned around the, the travel and the way that football fans often travel, which is in large numbers together um, on trains and coaches and stuff. It's, you know, it, it should there not be that equal parallel conversation happening? Like, whilst we might not like it, you know, for the next six to eight weeks, does it does it not, you know, make sense perhaps to, to do that as well? Not not just from a benefiting football perspective, but just benefiting getting through this uh, variant perspective um, in sort of wider society, if you like, because you've got tens of thousands of people um, or hundreds of thousands of people really on any given match day, you know, moving up and down the country, the length and breadth. Um, it doesn't, you know, it does feel a bit counterintuitive if you're trying to suppress a virus, as we've as we've said so many times on here. But it doesn't seem like that's come to the forefront in the same way as the, you know, should matches go ahead discussion has. Um, but I don't know if you guys have a have any thoughts on that one. But go on, Dan. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say uh, immediately, stop the Afcon, stop it now. <laughs> yeah. Just do away with it because this is already. A delayed tournament, is it not? Um, yeah, because it was supposed so, to be last year, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Just just get rid of that tournament. I'm, I'm sorry, Cameroon. You can have the next one. Um, it, that tournament cannot be played. It's just totally irresponsible to do so. Yes, I have a very, 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 very vested interest in that, but I'm not wrong, am I? No, the the, the, Af- the Afghan shouldn't go ahead. Um, I, there's, there's no reason... For it to, to go ahead, I think, given that we're in the midst of this kind of surge, worldwide surge of, of case numbers going up again, um, it's a real shame for them. And I know that tournament's really important to African football in terms of not only the um, the sort of attention it brings, but the commercial element as well. And, and I appreciate for them to be postponing it's going to be really, really difficult. But just postpone it and play it in the in the summer after the season's finished i know they tried that before and found that summer tournament you know very very hot in africa in the summer unsurprisingly um but i i think they might have to go for a postponement and play it after the season because again if we're talking about not kind of unnecessary travel then surely flying flying out couple of hundred footballers all around the world uh from all around the world into africa uh for for four weeks and then moving them around various bits of west africa it just feels unnecessary um but but i think khan's point on on fans is a, is a good one um it is difficult to justify continued uh um attendance what i would say makes it different to me than the players is um, fans can take a lateral flow test, uh, which I think they now have to do anyway. They they have to show. Uh, I think they have to show either that they're they're double vaccinated or that they've taken a lateral flow test on the day. I mean, personally, I would say, given that you can still catch it as, as someone who's double vaccinated, or be likely to have lesser symptoms. Um, just make it a rule that the fans need to test before they come to the game. Yeah. If that means some fans can't go because they test, I think we we heard um, uh, our, our Villa correspondent Dan said he he missed the first Steven Gerrard um, game because he tested positive, positive. on the morning of the game. Yes. Yes. Now, if he can't go, it's very sad for him and his little boy in that scenario, sure, but it isn't likely to affect the outcome of the game, is it? <laughs> in the nicest possible I, way, I, I, as, as sad as matters. 
Yeah. <laughs> whereas, whereas if if a team is missing seven or eight of its key players because they've tested positive on the on the morning of the game, that's more likely to have effect on the on the competition and the integrity of the competition. So, uh, yeah. I would try and do everything I possibly could to keep fans in stands, and if that means we have to slightly reduce capacities for a little while. Um, and say it's not quite full houses, we can't justify that, so we're going to reduce you know, 66% capacity or whatever, and people testing on the morning of games. Whatever it takes, I'd like to keep fans in the stands if we're going to keep playing games, because I just think football without them just wasn't... Like, it, was, it was barely watchable at times, and, and I, I don't really want to, to kind of go back to that. Um, there may come a time, of course, when we're, when we're in the most serious set of circumstances let's all hope that that's not what it comes to um but a bit like the kind of prime minister said this afternoon he's going to keep everything under review i think my view on fans in the stands is is something that you'd have to keep under review but my strong preference is, is to keep people at football games if we can can, can we not just sorry can um can we not just like go back to my old plan which was just no away fans I mean, potentially, the idea being that home fans don't, in theory at least, have as far to travel, I'm guessing, is your angle on that, Dan, that there isn't as much people cross, you know, crossing the travel. country. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, p- potentially, I mean, I think these days, obviously, with the way the game is followed and supported, I, I, I don't know if, you know, I think the days of, you know, Anfield being packed full of 40, 50,000 Scousers and, you know, Old Trafford being packed full of Mancunians and, you know, Arsenal being packed full of Cockneys or whatever. I don't know if that's the reality anymore. And I think, you know, obviously the, the away fans are a much smaller number um, compared to home. So I think you'd still have a fair few people on, you know, on trains and travelling around. But, you know, I, I don't know how it works out in terms of the, the demographics and whatever, but it could it could be an angle. I think it would it would certainly help to a degree. I guess it's how, how much would it help, I suppose. Um, not sure, but um, yeah, maybe and again, if, at least if it allowed you, to, it might at least allow you to spread the home fans out a little bit. Mm. I'm thinking of my idea of if you do have to take some steps and maybe you can reduce capacities a little bit. But again, I, I I sort of want them to go really kind of slowly on that and make that those kind of moves sort of the moves of last resort. If it's a choice between that or cancelling the season, clearly then then it's preferable to reduce reduce crowds, but. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that could be a good a good angle because yeah, no, yeah, we don't want the the stadiums to be to be empty because the yeah, the the games just feel like a non-event and and they're played in that way, um, <laughs> as as we've seen. But yeah, maybe that's sort of reduced to two thirds to allow um, you know some level of distancing, uh, you know, as as a short-term measure could be uh, could be an option. But I think you know, it's almost like is there. You know, when you talk about last resorts or whatever, it's is this not the kind of critical time where if decisions like that are going to be made? Do they not need to be made in the next, you know, in the next week or two? Um, well, I, I mean, I, I think we probably are close to that point. The, the Premier League's made a decision today that it's going to carry on playing on Boxing Day. I think, you know, short of any sort of declaration from the Prime Minister and the Cabinet and, and whoever else, I, I think they kind of have to sort of keep keep going until until it becomes clear that that's not really an option for them i i know it's very very tough it's it's tough decisions to have to take uh but i i do worry about my main worry is about the kind of 
the competition and the integrity of the competition. And if we've got games being played where, you know, it's not really Chelsea, it's Chelsea reserves, just as an example. And I'm not, you know, I know Chelsea have got a multi-billion pound squad and they, they really have very little room to moan. But if you are getting to the point where teams are having to put basically a reserve side out to fulfil a fixture, it, it might be the one one year when you end up looking back at the Premier League at the end of the season and saying, well, you can't necessarily say the best team won it. Um, I don't know. I, I do worry about whether we lose something if we kind of get to the point where we've we've got kind of teams that are down to the bare bones because they've got seven, eight, nine players on the COVID list. And and just to go back, because that was another another point you made before, actually, around the the case by case reviewing and so on, which yeah, obviously was uh, you know in the instance of the Villa game was you know a bit a bit of a joke really in terms of how how that got announced. But is the official criteria that if you can field fourteen players, including a goalie, you're you're theoretically able to play? Is that is that the kind of baseline that they that they assess from? I don't think it's clear. Um, I don't think it's clear exactly what their baseline is. I mean, clearly you need to have uh, enough for 11, including a goalkeeper, and you need to have three subs. I mean, on a Sunday morning, Con, you need eight. If you've got eight, we're kicking off. But uh, I don't think the Premier League can quite go to that level. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what their kind of minimum threshold is. It seems to me, and this is only my speculation looking at it, that the bar is a little bit higher for Chelsea and Liverpool and, and, and the top clubs getting games called off than it might be for some of the smaller clubs um, who don't have the kind of really deep, big squads. But I, I don't know that that's the case. The Premier League may say to me that's complete nonsense. Here are the reasons why we treated different cases differently. Um, it does feel to me like if you've got a kind of big squad, uh, the Premier League sort of veer towards while well, you play your games regardless which of course completely flies in the face of last season when we were squawking about having five substitutions because it benefits the big clubs more and now the big clubs have been penalised for having big squads yeah there's, there is a certain irony to that Dan that's fair uh, the, uh, you use the word irony I would use the word outrage um, <laughs> but it's, it's affected us so um just, just, just to close this off, off then, because we're not the big COVID podcast, honestly, but we, we can't not talk about this. It's such a, a, a it's hampering the football calendar so badly. Um, what, what do you think about the decision to get rid of the replays? And I, I know Jurgen suggested that the Carlin Cup, Carlin Fizzy Pop Pointless Cup, has got to go down to a one-legged semi-final. I, I really don't think that that will happen. I think it's a good idea, and I think it's been long needed. Um, but what w- what do you think about changing competitions as the season is ongoing? Because the FA Cup is does not start in the third round when the when the Premier League teams join. Even though some people would have you believe that's the case, that competition's been going on since the summer, and now the rules are being changed. Um, how, how do you feel about that? So I think on the FA Cup, I like say I think in theory it, it makes sense. I hope it's a one-season-only thing. The reason we haven't... Because you have to think we have got rid of FA Cup replays further on in the competition. Later on in the competition, it is a one one and you're done. Um, the reason that generally football hasn't gone that way in the third and fourth round is because you've still got lower league and occasionally non-league teams in there. 
who have the benefit potentially of two paydays if they if they end up with a replay. Um, and, and there was a, a strong reluctance, and I would share that from from those at the lower end of the of the pyramid to do away with that possibility. So I, I completely see that. I think um, if it's if it's done for just this year, I'm I'm, I'm in favour of it. I worry that it will become a kind of oh well, the precedent's set now. We don't need replays in the FA Cup ever again. Uh, I do think the League Cup should go down to a single leg semi-final. I've thought that for a long time. Um, the said comes the question. I think the logistics are difficult at the moment because then comes the question of where do you play the semi-final? Uh, do you have it just as a draw and the home team plays a home uh, in the way that you know you do in a quarter-final? Or do you say, no, semi-finals are different and you, you've got to play them on a neutral venue? If so, look, finding a neutral venue in time for the, the dates of the semi-finals, which are less than a month away. So, yeah, it's, I suspect it won't happen. Um, that's one where I kind of go the opposite way to the FA Cup, where I, can, I agree with getting rid of replays, but for this season only as a sort of special case. On the League Cup, I'd rather see them as one-leg semi-finals as a matter of principle. Um, and if so, then, you know, let's do it properly and, and, and move to that system for the long term. I don't think the decision's going to be taken in time to do it for this year, though. Well, Jürgen said he didn't care where the semi-final was. He said if, if Liverpool were in the semi-final, he would play the game wherever, just so long as it was one leg. That was Jürgen's solution. And and Man City will find a way to win it anyway. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Man City will cash in the money in the bank briefcase and win it anywhere. <laughs> I mean, if Man City win the League Cup this season, then the fix is definitely in. <laughs> <laughs> any any more for any more regarding COVID and football? Khan, have you got anything you want to add about this? No, I think I think well covered. I think you know definitely uh, support fewer fewer games in the League Cup generally. So I wouldn't, but yeah, I think uh, might be late to bring that in now. And then I, I think you know Paul's right on the concern with the FA Cup is you know reducing down the replays or getting rid of the replays rather. If that comes in as a longer term, that definitely feels like it's done to help the bigger clubs. Whereas at the moment, it's one of the big benefits of the lower clubs. So I think it's definitely one to keep an eye on where the FA sort of lands with that one. Um, but I think in the short term at the moment, it just makes, it sort of makes practical sense um, to do away with them, given everything we've just spent the start of the podcast talking about. Yeah, I, I agreed. Yeah, um, it, it, it's, I, I've kind of been advocating doing away with replays for, for a while, just because the third round in January becomes when the football calendar just got it either has just had or is still having a crazy run of fixtures. So for me, it's one of those things that needs to be considered. But yeah, this is not a, it's not really a footballing decision, to be honest. It's a, it's a common sense, practical world events decision. Um, but common sense and the FA don't really go hand in hand, let's be honest. Um, so yeah. I, I will stop uh, casting aspersions on, the, on them having some common sense because it's probably going to get undone again at some point. Um, the only thing I'd add, Dan, before we move on is, I, if you looked at the Nations League fixtures came out in the week, and they basically start a week after the Champions League final, and I think, again, it, it's just the evidence that there is no let-up, even in the summer. We haven't even got the sort of leeway of being able to extend the season a week or two, because the season has already 
straight from kind of the Champions League final into an international tournament, basically. I know the Nations League isn't an international tournament in the way we traditionally think about one, but you're straight into another set of international fixtures. Um, And it's not like they're just friendlies anymore that you can just do away with. So there's no give anywhere in the calendar. That's very true, and UEFA also don't exercise common sense. But then again, we did see the Champions League draw last week, so that's no real surprise that um, the, the, the Nations League hasn't been even thought about just yet. But at least they drew the right balls also for the, for the, the, uh, the Nations League. Um, if we kind of move on then to uh, the weekend's refereeing, Every year, and I, I remember we did a pod, we, we did a podcast many many years ago before it became fashionable. In fact, um, and I remember saying when I listened back to them some while ago that we have the weekend every season, which is described as a horror show, and refereeing standards must get better, and pundits get angry, and then it just all subsides away. The the the, the, the Tottenham Liverpool game. It's easy for me to get on my high horse about it because it affects me, it affects my team. The decisions affect could possibly affect the outcome of our season come come May. And it was a great game to watch. It's just a shame it was ruined potentially by incompetent refereeing. Absolutely shambolic decision-making. But it's not an isolated incident this weekend, is it? It's been a really poor weekend with regards to the use or lack of use of VAR. Um, yeah, I think it was, you know, must have been a... a sort of frustrating afternoon um you know as, as a fan invested in the game i think as a, as a neutral you know it was quite quite amusing <laughs> um from my perspective and it was it was a decent game yesterday and in, in particular but um yeah it did feel like there were some some big decisions that that weren't that weren't right um and i think you know you, i know you're particularly aggrieved at the um the, the the cane tackle that doesn't get any better <laughs> the more you watch it and it does sort of open that question of you know how on earth is uh you know again we keep saying this isn't the var podcast or the govig podcast but again it comes into to play of you know how how does a referee on the field and you know a team of people um reviewing that you know decide uh that you know that there's that there's no issue with a tackle like that that to, to pretty much everyone is unanimously agreed that it was a it was it was pretty awful. So that's you know not a you know we've we've had we've had some progress on on VAR this season and it's been used a lot better. I think after the example of you know in the Euros where everyone agreed that was like the right way to apply it, um, we have seen an improvement. But there still are these cases that come up um, every few weeks where you know it sort of baffles everyone. And I think you know yesterday's game was was definitely one of them. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure why. I mean, it was they mentioned in the commentary about you know it's the England captain and things like that. And do they go through people's minds? Obviously it shouldn't matter. Um, but is, is that part of it? Is it because of the, the, who it is, um, that it, that it was Harry Kane, whereas, uh, you know, Andy Robertson, who obviously did, did see red and, and rightly so as well. Um, you know, doesn't quite have that same profile. Does that play part of it? I, I don't know, but, um, you know, for, for them both to happen in the same game was quite a, a stark contrast at how they were dealt with um, and doesn't sort of do the, do the officials, I think any favors really in terms of their, their credibility and, and the application of, of VAR where you've got, got sort of obvious incidents like that being dealt with um, poorly at least. Um, but yeah, I don't know, uh, Paul, if you have a, another sort of more, more neutral view. Um, than... 
No, I, I mean, I, I think I don't have a neutral view of anything when it, when it concerns Spurs games. But oh, uh, yeah, true. The, um, <laughs> the, I thought Harry Kane should have been sent off. <clears throat> um, I, I, I mean, I can kind of see the, the, the ball looking at it and saying, well, it could be a yellow, and therefore we don't need to get involved. But to me, that's that's a red card tackle, and they should have got involved and said to the referee, I'm sorry, that's a red card tackle, you're going to need to send him off. Or at least come over and look at the monitor. Um, and then clearly, you know, what normally happens when they come and look at the monitor is they change their decision. Uh, I thought Andy Robertson did deserve to get sent off. It, 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 Andy Robertson's was, was, it was the malice to me that, that made it a red card. Um, he, he lashed out. That was a frustrated lash. Um, and while he didn't make a huge amount of contact on the Spurs player, it was it there was a bit of a like a premeditation to sort of to to, to kick him, um, and I, and I think that's a red card offence. Uh, the Harry Kane one is is more serious in terms of the contact because that can if the legs planted and it's just at the wrong angle that that tackle can break a leg. Um, it was ugly. I also thought Liverpool should have had a penalty in the first half on on Jota. Uh, I thought Newcastle should have had an absolute stonewall penalty just after Man City went 2-0 up. Dear me. Um, when Edison just wiped out Callum Wilson. And the argument I've seen for it not being a penalty is, well, the the ball was two yards away from both of them. Which well, so nothing. what? <laughs> I mean, if the ball's at the other end of the pitch, can I just go and wipe somebody i mean it's ridiculous yeah no i saw uh, that this morning as well but yeah he's, he's, he's not got a chance of trying to get to it if you've got players no, clotheslining no, well, him well, well quite I, I get the point that there was a man city defender close and i get the point that there was you know the ball wasn't exactly sort of at wilson's feet but even so the goalkeeper can't just slide out and wipe a striker out in the penalty area like that even if the ball isn't right at the striker's feet um yeah i i, I didn't think it was a great Sunday for VAR particularly. Um, I I actually didn't think it was a great Saturday for him because I think Granite Xhaka got lucky as well. I think Granite Xhaka could have been sent off um, in the in the Arsenal Leeds game with a you know again a stupid needless tackle that's just a little bit high. Uh, maybe maybe that was more of a kind of you know dark yellow, but but he he certainly could have gone and and I think probably that was more one of those where. If the ref had sent him off, Ball wouldn't have overturned it and said you need to bring him back on. Um, but I thought he probably got a little bit lucky with that one. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a poor Sunday um, for the use of VAR. I'm generally an advocate for letting as much as possible stay on the field um, and for VAR staying out of the way, uh, unless it really is clear and obvious. But those four incidents, Robertson, where they did get involved, but then Kane, the Jota penalty the Wilson penalty in those two televised games yesterday. I think all three of those were clear and obvious mistakes and, and VAR somehow didn't didn't seem to, you know, do anything to try and change them. So, uh, yeah, strange one, and, inconsistent. And, and it, uh, you know, I can understand Dan from a Liverpool perspective being particularly frustrated with it. Newcastle fans, I suppose, might take the view that they'd have lost to Man City even if they got a penalty in that game. So... Uh, maybe, maybe it made less difference to them, but but even so, two 0 You've just gone two 0 down. You know what was it? Ten minutes before half time, something like that. Uh, if you get a penalty there and you get back to two one at half time, do you put a bit of doubt in the opponent's mind? You know, so yeah, it wasn't 
a great weekend. It probably would have been four one instead of four nil, but <laughs> the, the the point still stands. And for for people who have both teams to score on the coupon, number one, why are you choosing Newcastle? And number two, if you have, you'd probably be quite cross about that. Not quite as cross as I was. Um, I, I have to take it a little bit easy at the moment because I'm not well. But um, that's probably as angry as I've been watching a game of football probably since the the, the Man the four one Man City game. I, I do think though, Dan. In fairness, uh, Liverpool a little bit of that. I, I don't know what Allison's doing for the equaliser. No, very poor. Which is a shame because he'd made two top. Serves. Yeah, I, it, it's just it's just a bad error, and I think you know if that error doesn't happen and Liverpool are still winning the game, I'm not sure Andy Robertson has that kind of frustrated lash out. Almost certainly not. Almost um, certainly. So, not. so they kind of you know in a tough game, and it was a good game to watch as a kind of you know relative neutral in a tough game uh, where you've been behind and fought your way to be in front. Uh, I thought. It was a cheap way to give away two points for Liverpool yesterday. It, it, it wasn't. That's how it feels. And having worked, come from behind to be leading yeah. as well. And um, it, interesting that you should you should say that. You know, like Robertson rightly sent off after a, a really poor goal to give away. Like Tottenham had just gone one nil up when when Harry Kane, England's Rose, England captain, um, came charging in and put in a leg breaker. Um, they, they'd just gone one nil up. I don't know whether. He's trying to leave from the front or, or, or whatever, but uh, England's captain doesn't get sent off uh, and straight after a goal that happened and straight after a goal, Scotland's captain does get sent off. I, I think there's there's definitely a point there. I think with Kane, you know, he's obviously been struggling, hasn't he, form-wise. It's good good finish for the goal. Good, and I think really good finish, yeah. I, I wonder if there's a bit of adrenaline coursing through him and that leads to him throwing himself into it. I, again, I, that doesn't change what I think the outcome should have been. I, I think it was a red card. Um, but I Did you hear his he explanation? No, go on, Dan, I didn't. His explanation was that he won the ball. <laughs> nowhere near the ball. No, no, he didn't win the ball. Uh, Andy Robertson kind of flicked it up and over him, didn't he? You know, he um, and then next thing you know, the, the tackle's been made. It, it's frustrating. I mean, it, it's two points dropped. On the... Face of it, a draw at Tottenham is not the worst result in the world. City have gone there and lost. They lost there on the opening day of the season. Um, Chelsea are, are falling away. They dropped points yesterday as well. So it's just, um, and I, I think it, it probably a good way to kind of flip onto our next topic of tables within the table. Um, like the, the top three we've, we've talked about for a while are gone. Man City are three points away. Um, I don't think that's terminal by any means. I think Liverpool can claw that back. Uh, what City have done, which has annoyed me over the last week, has gone from being 11 goals behind us on goal difference to being levelled due to, to Leeds is frankly ineptness. And uh, I would expect them to have put the beating on Newcastle. Newcastle are poor and are struggling. Um, so, you know, like, we have tables forming within tables is, is what we're... I'm heading with this. The top three we've already discussed are gone. I think it's been a really good few weeks for Arsenal, who've responded well to that dreadful capitulation at Goodison Park, um, and suddenly looking quite well ensconced in the race for European football. Obviously, you'll be hoping it's not the uh, Thursday night fizzy pop pointless cup, Paul, but you must be quite pleased with how Arsenal's season are going and how the the standing in the league is at the moment. Yeah, and as I said earlier, I think they've benefited from playing two games and getting two wins on the board. Oh, you have to win the games, right? But 
Arsenal have benefited from playing two games this week and getting two games out of the way in six points while other teams have had games called off. Um, I think you're right. There's the top three, and I know Chelsea at the moment are having a little bit of a, a blip and, and COVID's not helping them with that. They've dropped away from, from the pace a little bit. Um, but then there's a group of, of Arsenal, United Spurs, who you kind of expect, and West Ham, who I, I still think are there on merit, even though maybe their form hasn't quite been what it was earlier in the season. Uh, for me, that four is kind of the four that I can see chasing that fourth spot. Um, and then there's a there's a group of, like, I think it's basically three teams, Wolves, Leicester and Villa, who I'm absolutely convinced none of those three are going to make the top four. And I'm absolutely convinced none of those three are going to get relegated. Uh, if I was a fan of any of those three teams, I'd really want them to have a good go at the FA Cup because I think, um, you know, I think the league season probably is a bit of a damp squib from from here on in for those three. Now, you could say for Villa, well, it looked dicey a couple of weeks ago, so to be in the safe mid-table category is is probably progress. Then every everyone in the bottom half, basically, from Palace down, I think, you know, should still have one eye over their shoulder a little bit on relegation. But I separate it to the first six, which is Palace, Brentford, Brighton, Everton, Southampton, Leeds. To me, that six should be okay. Um, now, they they need to be careful because you can always go on a run, those, those six teams, with the teams they have, they can go on a run like Brighton are on at the moment where they haven't won in 11. And if you go 11 without a win in the Premier League, you, you know, you're in a bit of bother. Uh, but the reason I think those six will be okay is because I think there's four teams that are clearly the worst four teams in the Premier League. Norwich, Newcastle, Burnley and Watford. Um, I don't think those four are very good. Uh, but Norwich have got a little bit better since Dean Smith took over. Um, fair enough, but I just don't think they've got the quality. Newcastle, likewise, they've got to do a lot of business in, in January if they're going to stay up. The good news for them will be that they feel close enough you know, they're only three points outside the relegation zone. They're only six points away from Leeds, seven points away from Southampton. They feel like if they can get a run together. The bad news for them is they've played more games than everyone around them. Um, Burnley, who, you know, we've talked numerous times about the ridiculously small size of Burnley's squad. And Watford, where Ranieri's had a bit of an impact, but, you know, again... You can't magic up new players from, from nowhere. And, and the fundamental problem, I think, is Watford don't have enough good players. So uh, I think those four are the four who I see battling the whole season for three spots. If one of those teams in that group of six above them really goes down the toilet or Brighton don't get out of the toilet quickly, then maybe you could see somebody else fall into it. But I think, I think there's basically like five leagues within the league, three teams for the championship, Four teams, fourth spot. Three teams kind of in the middle of nowhere. Six teams looking over their shoulder. And then four teams at the bottom who are in real trouble. Yeah, I mean, I think the only ones I would probably call out on there, Paul, I mean, I think those groups are probably fair, fair enough. And I know we've, we've spent a bit of time talking about the the top three and the and the sort of chase for fourth. I, I don't think I'd, I'd disagree with that. But at, at the other end of the table, I mean, the... The only thing that sort of I feel that sets Watford apart a little bit from the three below them is they, they do seem to be able to score a goal, um, which might help them. The problem is, obviously, then at the other end. <laughs> um, and that's what... Um, who's the manager this week? Is it still Ranieri? 
Uh, yeah, needs to, needs to sort out. Um, but I just feel that's the glimmer of hope for them. I, I agree they don't have a lot of quality and they, they do look like a championship side, but they do seem to be able to, um, you know, they, they have got um, players up front who, who can score for them um, and they are creative. So that might, if they could tighten up at the back, um, give them an advantage uh, but yeah, we'll we'll have we'll have to see. And then the the other one is just above them, you know, Leeds at the moment. I mean, what is going on there? It seems to have. I know they've got injuries, or they've had injuries, and they seem to have more injuries. And um, now there's COVID coming in as well. Uh, so it's a bit of a perfect storm. But I mean, they are shipping goals at a you know at a rate of knots. Um, every team they play. Um, that again, I'm not saying they can't turn it around, but if they carry on, they're in. They're in real. They're not looking over the shoulder. They're you know they're in real trouble. Um, I, th- I think the others you've you've mentioned is 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 pretty much right. I think there's that sort of Midlands Midlands battle in the middle of the table between um, Wolves, Leicester, and Villa. You know, w- would you stick money on them finishing between them eighth, ninth, and tenth? Now you're pr- probably worth a punt. You know, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think the one team in the group below that I think. I think Crystal Palace look a good side some weeks. They they're probably not consistent enough, but they're the one team who I look at. I think they, I might be tempted to push them into that group. But but you're right, Connor. I think you could probably have good money now with those filling the three places left in the top ten. If you take you know the big six, and I use that advisedly, West Ham as kind of certs. Yeah. The other three places, I think Wolves, Leicester, Villa probably are the best three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, with Palace, it, it feels like maybe a season too soon. I think there's definitely lots of promise there. And I think, um, you know, assuming the, you know, we're, we're not only just halfway through. Um, so let's see. But I think, uh, yeah, I think it, it seems to be coming together there quite nicely, um, you know, under uh, under Vieira for them. But yeah, perhaps uh, maybe they just perhaps won't quite get the consistency needed to, to nudge themselves into the top half this season. But I think if they finish 11th, I think they'd, they'd probably be pretty happy, to be honest with you, given the amount of change that club had over the summer. It's goals as well, isn't it, at Palace? Like, Edward had a good start, scored a few goals, then he dried up. Then Benteke had a little spell, scored a few goals, but he's dried up a little bit. It, it's always about finding goal scorers for Palace for me. And, I, you know, they've drawn eight of their 17, and that probably says... They don't quite score enough goals to just get get themselves yeah. in front in those games. Um, I think on Leeds, I think you're right. The one thing I'd say for Leeds is they are in the midst of an awful injury crisis at the moment. And they're missing some of, not just some first-team players, but they're missing some of their best players. And I don't know if Leeds can afford... I, I don't know if they're good enough to be able to be afford to be without three or four of their better players. Um, Calvin Phillips is massive for them, but when he doesn't play in midfield, they look... How can I say this kindly? They look short of Premier League quality in the middle of midfield when, when the, Calvin the, Phillips comes out of that team. The porous. Yeah. I mean, Adam Forshaw, bless him, he, he, he's, he, he's been a good professional and he's been a really good championship player and, uh, you know, he's probably earned his crack at the Premier League. But that first Arsenal goal the other day, once Leeds have picked the ball up, just made a good tackle inside their own box, you've just got to clear that there. And I don't know what Adam Forshaw's doing, um, but he gets himself into a mess. And it's that kind of mistake that you just can't make in the Premier League because you'll be punished. And I don't think Calvin Phillips makes that mistake. I think if he does play the ball there, he, he backs himself to be strong enough to hold any challenge off. 
and and more than likely actually takes the better percentage play and gets rid of it. Um, Two great finishes from Martinelli, though. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's had a fantastic couple of weeks, hasn't he, since he got back in the side. Um, it wasn't the first one was a really good instinctive finish, and the second one was one of those where you've got to think about it, and he let the goalkeeper get close, 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 and you think, oh, you've maybe let him get too close, and then he just sort of dinks it over him. Um, I mean, you know, yeah, Arsenal good on on Saturday. I certainly wouldn't say any different than that. I I think Leeds were a bit there for the taking because of their injury crisis. Um, and Rafina apart at the moment, when you look at that side, you, you're struggling to see the, the bits of quality, aren't you, that, that you're going to need at this level. The, the You know, the young kids that got playing, certainly the young kid that got playing right back. I mean, Chiarantini and... Uh, and Martinelli kind of had him on toast in the, for the first half, uh, and you felt a little bit sorry for him. Doesn't get much easier for Leeds the next games at Anfield on Boxing Day. Yeah, I mean the way they're defending at the moment, that could be any sort of number you want. Problem is though, they're playing Liverpool what, what, reserves. What What are the odds on Leeds conceding more goals than the Aussies concede first innings runs in the next test match? <laughs> Oh please don't! <laughs> I want to. Look, I, I don't. I'm. I'm gonna bless me. I'm gonna sit there on Boxing Day. I'll still not be well because my surgery is not due for a little bit yet. And I'll, I'll be. I'll sit. I'll sit there and I'll watch that Boxing Day test. And I'm just gonna get disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on from the cricket. Yeah. 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 We don't want to go standing on our own stumps, which was another heartbreaker. Um, well. It, was there anything else that we wanted to talk about particularly? I think that there's a lot going on, um, but the game's flying thick and fast, and just the, the Carlin I, I, Fizzy Pop Pointless Cup this week. Yeah, I, I, there's obviously League Cup quarterfinals tomorrow, and I think some on Wednesday as well. I wanted to just pick up very quickly. I mean, a lot of the football league was was postponed as well this weekend. It was it was difficult to find six games that I fancied uh, for my accumulator, um, and I certainly didn't find six that I'm pr- correctly predicted. So uh, let's leave that there. But um, I, I think it's a big opportunity for Fulham tonight in the Championship. They've got Sheffield United uh, at home, and they this is their game in hand on on Bournemouth and Blackburn. Blackburn have closed the gap right up. West Brom have closed the gap right up. Both Bournemouth and, and Fulham have been on a bit of a wobble. But if Fulham win tonight, they go five clear at the top of the league. And I think it's a big, big opportunity for them. So really pivotal night, I think, in the, in the promotion race in the championship. If Sheffield United were to get something from that game and Fulham were to drop more points, you know, you start to look at that kind of what was a top two that had really got away. And, and suddenly it's four teams who are really closely battling for, for those places. So it's a big game for Fulham tonight, but it's a great opportunity for them to put some distance into themselves and, and the chasing pack. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big game. I mean, like, I, I only I caught a bit of the, the Middlesbrough-Bournemouth game, but um, Chris Wilder seems to me like he's, he's got his teeth in there. I think that was a good job for him to take. Uh, good appointment from 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 Middlesbrough as well. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how they go on. But Bournemouth, since you predicted that they were going to run away with the league ball, <laughs> yeah, I, I predicted it was all over by the shouting. And Fulham and Bournemouth were up in uh, November. Uh, since when they barely won a game between them. So um, it's all gone a bit peak tongue. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, credit to Blackburn. They are they are having a really really good season. I didn't I didn't see that at all. West Brom, yes, we expected them to be up and amongst it. Um, particularly the Nick, the manager from Barnsley, whose name's temporarily escaped me, uh, who did a great job at Barnsley last year. Um, so you kind of expected they'd be there. Fulham and Bournemouth, that was probably pretty easy to predict. But but Blackburn are having a fantastic season, and um, you know really really surprised I think just about everybody uh, it's a few years now since we've seen Blackburn Rovers in the Premier League which you think for so long they were a, a bit of a kind of you know certainty weren't they really but but credit to Tony Mowbray and his staff because they are playing really really well at the moment they are yeah um, I didn't have them down as a show either and uh, Nottingham Forest are on a, a very good run again and they're, they're really closing on those playoff places now perhaps you're Tips of QPR and Forest aren't as fanciful as they once appeared. Yeah, absolutely. Forest are up to seventh, Dan. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, my preseason tipping is not as bad as my November tipping. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think at the moment, Forest are just outside on the uh, QPR and Stoke are kind of in those last two places. As again, there's that top four that's broken away a little bit and got a kind of gap. I think QPR have got a couple in hand, but then it's QPR, Stoke, Forest. Coventry, Borough, Huddersfield, two points separate, what, five or six teams, a typical championship table. Yeah, and that's, that's why we love it so much. Incidentally, just, just in passing, I know that the the, um, the the League 1 and League 2 tables, sorry, fixture lists in particular, got piled into by COVID. And the, the, the Vale are really in the playoff positions. I, I didn't realise that, that they're doing really well for the Souls at the moment. Yeah, well, they're only they're only just outside the automatic places. If they won their game in hand, they'd be third, which of course in League Two is a is a promotion place, an automatic promotion place. Um, but I, th- I think if we're talking about League Two, we should just mention Sutton United, who currently are in third, because their first season in the Football League this is an incredible um, adaptation to professional ball. Uh, I certainly didn't have Sutton finishing in the top six or seven or any anything like it. So, you know. Real credit to them. But yeah, Vela are doing well. They're on a good run. Tranmere are doing well. They're on a good run. Um, it does look as though this might finally be the year for Forest Green. Not that I want to speak too soon, but kind of having been there or thereabouts and missed out on playoffs and lost in playoffs and, you know, I think missed out on the final day, didn't they? One, certainly one of the last two seasons. They missed out on the final day on an automatic promotion place. So, uh, yeah, for them, this this might finally be the year when it when it all goes their way and they and they make it up into League One. Um, the other one, who's, just while we're t- talking about League Two and teams on a good run, is is Mansfield under under Nigel Clough because they really were fancied by quite a lot of people uh, pre-season, including myself, and they didn't have a very good start, but they're into the top half now and they're on a good run of form as well. So um, yeah, it's uh, it, it, again. It's a, it's a league that's going to feel the effects of COVID even more so than the Premier League because they don't have the facilities to kind of protect their players in quite the same way. Uh, you know, if you're a League Two footballer, you're, you're mixing normal members of society in your life in maybe a way that you don't have to if you're a Premier League footballer. Uh, so it will be interesting to see what the impact is. If you remember when, when the Premier League first went back, it was the only, I think, Premier League went back and the Championship went back, but League One and League Two didn't to finish off that, that season um, a couple of years ago. Uh, and that's largely in part to the fact it's just much more difficult when people are 
normal members of society who just happen to be professional footballers, uh, which describes most pros in League One and League Two, it's much harder to keep them kind of bubbled and safe than it is if you've got Premier League players earning multi-millions of pounds a year uh, who probably, you know, can get away for a few weeks without uh, associating with, with normal ordinary folk. Yeah, in in interesting times ahead. Um, but the the the, uh, the championship postponements have already started for Boxing Day, and it's what the twentieth of November. We've already got the postponements rolling in, so uh, we shall have to see. Um, but with that, I think uh, you said the twentieth of November, Dan. It's definitely the twentieth of December. Uh, to be honest <laughs> with you, I, I I've not known what day it is since the twelfth of November when I, when I had my operation. So yeah. But but no, you're right. We have already got some postponements um, for Boxing Day, which is again a great shame because, as I mentioned earlier, for Premier League clubs, that they, they want the games on Boxing Day because they want the full stadiums. Well, that's even more relevant if you're a League One, League Two club who don't get full house every week. If Boxing Day is one of your big days when you tend to sell out and you're already postponed. I think it's Barnsley Stoke, isn't it? It's gone, and I think Cardiff have Card- gone. Well. Yes, Cardiff was the one that I had in my mind. Yes. So, you know, that's, yeah, not good news, but we will see. We will. Um, I, I suspect this might be our last show of of the year. I'm not I'm not too sure that we're gonna, we'll have a chance next week because um, you do your things for Christmas, I do mine, and uh, who knows how the world's going to look in a week, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, and I, I don't mean to, to, to go back to the, the C word, Um but um, we'd just like to, to take this chance to wish you all a Merry Christmas and put the presence of subscribing to the Big Football Podcast under your tree and you can do so via um, Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music. Hit the subscribe button and we get the, the latest COVID content delivered um, directly to your device. Um, so we, we we may try and do another show before the new year. I would suggest it's not likely. Would would you say, gents? I, w- I would say we'll we'll probably not have time. Well, there also might not be any football to comment on that. If you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll 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 either we'll either do something just before the new year or just after. Fingers crossed. Yes, and I I mean we can always have my live reaction to the postponement of the African Cup of Nations. Should should that happen, that would be box office. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll probably be away for a few weeks now. Um, the the weekly football podcast that's not weekly at the moment, but um, that's what happens when you've got uh, got life happening. So, Merry Christmas, everyone. Stay safe. Have a happy New Year. If we don't speak to you before that, and we will catch you all again after a while. <laughs>